afraid of switching on. Our journey to follow Christ through witnesses to Christ arrives now at the cross. Tonight, we view Christ on the cross through the author's eyes, John, apostle and evangelist, the beloved disciple, the son of Zebedee, and the brother of James. By John's witness, we view Jesus beaten and bloody. We hear his words of forgiveness and fulfillment. We see him shedding his blood for the life of the world as we sing and pray and sit in silence this evening. We ponder Christ's love for us. We marvel at his gifts of forgiveness and salvation, for we have been clothed with the blood of Christ.
Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you endured the extreme suffering of crucifixion, shedding your blood so that the world would be forgiven. Keep our eyes fixed upon your cross, where you won forgiveness and salvation for the world, where you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We recite responsibly Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me, resting me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have taken for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to the worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction, you have known the distress of my soul. And you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy, you have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street Flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to show. But the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, and work for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I have said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. 
The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong, and let your heart take courage, all of you who wait for the Lord.
Grant that our hearts may be so fixed with steadfast faith in Him that we fear not the power of sin, death, and the devil. For His name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The epistle is from Hebrews, the fourth and fifth chapter. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he had suffered. And being made perfect, he became a source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you will that your Son should bear for us the pains of the cross, and so remove from us the power of the adversary. Help us so to remember and give thanks for our Lord's passion, that we may receive forgiveness of sin and redemption from everlasting death. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said to them, 
I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. But Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Those who have heard me, what I said to them, they know what I said. 
When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answered the high priest? And Jesus answered them, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and it at once a rooster crowed. Barabbas was a robber. 
chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all, unless it has been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release him, this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified.
which is in Aramaic, is called Golgotha, where they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side of Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and Greece. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, The King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answers, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things.
John 19.31-42. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the body would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a hot day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. For the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came, bringing a mixture of mirror and aloes about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Behold the Lamb of God. 
John 6, 54, Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. In John's Gospel, blood serves one purpose, to wash away sin. Sin is always at the door, standing at the door of our lives, yours and mine. And that's because we never measure up. We never do enough. We all fall short of the glory of God. But just because sin keeps knocking at the door, it doesn't mean that we have to let it in. But we do. We let Him in. And when we do, sin trashes our living room and our basements. He makes a mess out of our kitchen and our bathrooms. And in the backyard, don't even get started. Then, after making a terrible, terrible mess, sin wants to stay with us for the rest of our lives. So what do we say? We simply say, sure, great idea, sin, come on in. And so we spend the rest of our lives trying to get rid of sin and all of its ugly consequences. Projection. That is one of the ways that we try to kick sin out of the house. Project sin onto someone else. Blame someone. Blame anyone. Blame your husband. Blame your wife. Blame your parents. Blame your children. Your teachers. And while you're at it, blame the government and the system. Rationalization is another way that we try to conquer sin. What I did, it's no big deal. It didn't really hurt anybody anyway. It's just this once. Besides, no one will ever know. When projection and rationalizations don't work, we try comparison. If you think I'm bad, you should see my boss. At least I'm not as bad as my sisters. That was my favorite one. But remember, remember what he did? Or, ha, I'm a saint compared to that sinner. Another way we get rid of sin is repression. Stuff it down, stuff it way, way down. Live in denial. I know it was wrong, but I'm just not going to think about it anymore. Another way that sin says, we say adios to sin, is through distraction. Rush around from one event to the next so that at night you simply collapse. Run yourself ragged so that when you hit the pillow, sin doesn't haunt your heart and muddle your mind. Another strategy is evasion. Pop a pill, have a drink, smoke a joint, get addicted to TV, sports, money, you name it. Anything to evade the all-consuming consequences of sin. Do you see the problem of all of this? It doesn't work. 
None of this works. We wake up the next day and sin is still there. Trashing our house, making life miserable, and sometimes absolutely unbearable. There is only one solution to sin. Stand with John under Christ's cross. John says in verse 35 of chapter 19, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. John was there at the cross. He saw it all happen. John gives his testimony. And his testimony is true. And what would that be? Christ's blood alone washes away sin. All sin. Everyone's sins. Your sins. My sins. Their sin. And her sin. For everyone who believes all sin is forgiven. Sin is forgiven. And guess what? That's free for us. Good Friday, though, calls us to remember what it cost Jesus. His crucifixion at Golgotha was an act of utter brutality and barbarism. Jesus is first stripped before Herod's soldiers. He's stripped again at the command of Pilate. And then he's stripped once more at the cross when the soldiers divide his garments by casting lots. When Jesus was flogged, the Romans, uh, the Romans the next day, lacerations tore into his underlying skeletal muscles and produced quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Roman soldiers used a whip of braided leather, bonds with spikes woven into them. And when the whip would strike the flesh, spikes would cause deep bruises and lacerations. The whipping would have gone all the way from the shoulder down the back and the back of the legs. The Romans threw Jesus on the wood and drove tapered spikes through his wrists and feet, all the while mocking him and spitting on him. On the cross, Christ's arms were stretched six inches upward so that his shoulders would become dislocated. The stress of his diaphragm forced his chest into an inhaling position. In order to exhale, Christ had to push up, using his feet to relieve the pressure on his diaphragm and scraping his back as he temporarily exhaled. And as he did so, the nails would tear through his feet, eventually locking up against his bones. For six hours, this breathing motion went on and on and on, with Christ scraping his shredded back against the coarse wood until he became completely exhausted and unable to push up and breathe. As Jesus slowed down his breathing, he went into respiratory failure, leading to an irregular heartbeat. In fact, with his heart beating erratically, Jesus would have known that death was near. He died in cardiac arrest. 
John writes, verse 34 and 35 of chapter 19, One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has one witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. Peter Paul Rubens, a famous artist in the 17th century, depicts these events in John's Gospel. Rubens' masterpiece is called The Descent from the Cross. The background of the painting builds the black clouds linger after the three hours of darkness. In the foreground is Jesus. Reuben paints a sweeping diagonal line made by Christ's shining white shroud. Christ's head dangles to one side. And his body hangs limp. Sections of his skin bear the greenish-yellow color of death. In the left corner of the painting is Mary, Christ's mother, who appears in blue. Mary is reaching up to her son. Her grieving face is lit by the whiteness of the cloth and reflects her broken heart. Mary's skin matches the ashen pastiness of Christ. And remember Simeon's prophecy that a sword would pierce her heart. We can scarcely imagine Mary's profound sense of loss and her grief. Another woman supports Christ's foot as it rests on her shoulders. Christ's foot is an important clue to her identity. It's Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. As a disciple, she once sat at Christ's feet, and shortly before his death, she took expensive perfume and anointed the feet of Christ. Next to her is another woman. Her tears help us identify her. It's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is crushed utterly. So much so that on Easter morning, she runs frantically searching for Jesus. But we'll learn more about that and her on Easter morning. We know that the man standing on the ladder to the left is Joseph of Arimathea. His rich clothing comforts with the fact that Joseph of Arimathea had enough money to buy burial spices, and he had a new tomb, all for Jesus. Joseph is looking at the man in black. It is Nicodemus, painted in black, because as you recall, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. The person under Nicodemus is dressed in red. It is John, the gospel writer. It is John, the beloved disciple. It is John, the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. John's eyes are fixed on Mary, Jesus' mother. Remember that from the cross, Jesus said to Mary and John, Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. John is already caring for Mary in her deep sorrow. But why is John dressed in red? That's the driving question that Peter Paul Rubens wants us to ask. Why is John dressed in red? 
Christ's blood drips from his head, from his hands, and from his side. Christ's blood continues downward until it pours directly on to John. John is dressed in red because John is covered in blood. John is saturated in blood. John is washed in Christ's blood. And John says that same blood is for you. This is John's testimony. And John's testimony is true. At the bottom right corner of the painting is a piece of paper with the Latin inscription I-N-R-I. Kind of hard to see in that picture. And there's a rock on top of it. And the letter stands for Aeus Nazarum Rectum Iudorum. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And next to the inscription in rock lies an offering plate that holds the crown of thorns and more blood. Blood is in the offering plate. Why? Because it's Christ's offering. It's Christ's gift for you. More cleansing blood. Here, Paul Rubens invites us you and me to stand at the cross like John, to hold on to Jesus like John, to allow the Savior's blood to wash us like John. Why? Because Christ's blood is the only solution for all of our sin. So we stand at the foot of the cross like John, Closed in red, forever forgiven. Amen. We sing our sermon series hymn, Lamb of God, hymn 550.
before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, and God of not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us sinned for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, defend your church throughout the world from the assault of Satan, so that we be kept firm in the one true faith. What language shall we borrow? Lord Jesus Christ, bless all people who serve you in their callings and vocations. Grant them a measure of your humility and servanthood. But language shall we borrow. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the great teacher of your people. Bless all those who receive instruction in the faith, that they might be faithful unto death and receive the crown of life. But language shall we borrow. Thank thee, dearest friend. Lord Jesus Christ, you possess all authority. Guide those who have been given earthly authority, especially our president, Congress, governors, and all those who make, administer, and judge our laws. What language shall we borrow? Thank thee, dearest friend. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the light that shines in the darkness. Shine your light upon all those who walk in darkness apart from you, so that they might see your love for them. What language shall we borrow? Lord Jesus Christ, you endured suffering and shame from your enemies. Strengthen us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, and to pray for those who persecute us. What language shall we borrow? Lord Jesus Christ, you are the true vine. We are the branches. Feed us with your word and sacraments that we might bear fruit in keeping with repentance so that the world might praise you. What language shall we borrow?
Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you will that your Son should bear for us the pains of the cross, and so remove from us the power of the adversary. Help us so to remember and give thanks for our Lord's passion, that we may receive forgiveness of sin and redemption from everlasting death. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Stick with thinking. 